Welcome back to another season of the Lions College Football Podcast. I am Brett Gibbons with thelions.com, and this year I am joined by Kelly Ford. Kelly, thanks for joining me, and how are you today? Yeah, my pleasure, Brett. It's always fun talking college football with you. I'm doing great. The 2023 season is inching ever closer. Uh, Cannot wait. It's going to be so much fun. I'm going to enjoy this 2023 season as much as possible, maybe more than ever before. Uh, Just knowing all the changes that are coming in 2024. I know that's not the uh, topic of this episode, but knowing that's in the backdrop, I'm really going to enjoy 2023, especially with the conference that we're going to preview today. Yeah, fortunately, this conference has been unscathed through conference realignment. That, of course, being the Pac-12. Just kidding. It's gone after this year, and it's very sad to see. I I would love to see regionalized college football again. I'm sure we could have an entire hour-long show on that alone. But we are here to talk the present. We are going to talk the 2023 Pac-12, quite possibly the last season of the Pac-12. It's a very strange combination, this league. It's probably dissipating after this year, but it's also the most interesting, possibly, it's ever been. And probably has the most talented quarterback group of in the entire country. And it's probably not even close. Yeah, no doubt. And just with some of the teams that are in the league this year, I mean, this was already, like, coming into the summer, coming into the, the winter this past offseason, this was already my favorite conference race to watch. I tweeted about it a couple times even. Now that the conference is essentially dissolving after the season, as, as you mentioned and as we all know, I'm just going to enjoy it that much more, like I said at the top. So can't wait. It's going to be so much fun. Uh, I'm just hoping we get some great games so that we can remember uh, the Pac-12 for a really long time for what it was, and that was uh, a fantastic football conference for many, many years. Yeah, and just to kind of describe how interesting this conference race is, I have four teams in my top tier. I have USC, I have Oregon, Utah, and Washington. And I want to start with USC. I don't have a lot of action on Power 5 preseason. There are a lot sharper numbers. I much prefer to bet in the softer group of five markets. But I did put a flyer on USC to win the national championship at 17-1. to They returned 76% of roster production. That's the 10th most nationally. And, of course, they raided the portal again. Their top guys they bring in. Georgia defensive tackle Bear Alexander. Wyoming offensive lineman Emmanuel Pregnant, who I think is an awesome ad. Like one of the unsung heroes of the portal who I think is going to make a massive impact on this front. They also bring in Oklahoma State linebacker Mason Cobb, Arizona receiver, actually Pac-12 leading receiver Dorian Singer, running back Marshawn Lloyd of South Carolina, cornerback Christian Roland Walt. Like I could sit here and just list off everybody that they landed in the portal. We know the offense is going to be really good. My question is the defense. It was a huge issue last year. 111th in points per drive allowed, 125th in rush EPA, 119th in yards per play. Alice Grinch kind of stinks. <laughs> it is like talent isn't going to be an issue this year. If these numbers repeat again, then it's a coaching issue. And I don't know why Lincoln Riley wants to keep Alex Grinch around so much. Maybe he's just one of the guys they loves hanging out with and, and maybe owes him a favor. I don't know. But one category that this team excelled in turnovers, specifically turnover luck. They were plus 22 in turnover margin. That's by far the most in the country. And according to Bill Connolly, they had seven interceptions and six and a half fumble recoveries over expected. This was a very lucky team when it came to interceptions. We kept saying all season long, well, they can't keep up an 85% fumble recovery rate. And lo and behold, they sure did. Now, can they roll into this year? I don't expect it to. Uh, But, you know, they may just be a plus turnover team. That may just be who USC is. 
Their schedule sets up pretty nicely, but it is seriously backloaded. At Notre Dame, Utah, at Cal off a bye. We'll talk about that. Washington, at Oregon, and UCLA. That is the close to their schedule. And that's why I think Cal is an interesting game to talk about down the line as a potential trap spot, if not outright loss. We're against the spread, but we'll get there. But before then, they don't play a single opponent in my top half. And if you remove the Arizona schools, there's nobody above the, in the top 90. Like, it's a really soft intro to this season. Yeah, Brett, I've got USC. Uh, you mentioned a 17-1 to 1, uh, to win the national championship. I am with a 25% chance to make the CFP. That's the best in the Pac-12 and the sixth best in the nation. So once you're in the dance, anything can happen in those one-off games. As we know, the Trojans are my pick to win the conference with a 69% chance to reach the conference championship game. You mentioned that turnover luck and all the interceptions and fumble recoveries over-expected. It burned me last year. Uh, it certainly can't happen again, I wouldn't think, but you never know. Uh, college football is an interesting game. It's a wonky game. With Caleb Williams back, I project this to be the number two offense in the country behind only Ohio State. And yes, I know Ohio State uh, is breaking a new quarterback. I still like the pieces that Ohio State has just ever so slightly more than USC. But as is the case with just about every Lincoln-Riley coach team, um, my concerns with the defense. And you mentioned Alex Grinch. I agree with you 100%. I don't know if he owes him a favor or whatever it is that may, maybe you threw out there. But it's something because it kind of doesn't matter where we are or what year it is. It seems to be problems on the defense side of the ball. But with without fail, the next year, Alex Grinch is Lincoln-Riley's defensive coordinator. So uh, this defense for me right now, currently projecting around number 50 nationally. So I think they will be improved from last year, um, but how much so? Is it going to be enough to make the CFP? Again, my numbers have it with the sixth best chance. Much like TCU, like I talked about in the Big 12 episode, and, and like you just mentioned, Brett, USC schedule is incredibly backloaded. I have a 78% chance that USC starts the year 6-0. and You mentioned the, the teams that they're playing, and I, I agree with you. If you take out the Arizona schools, nobody in the top 90, 90 for my numbers in terms of opponents' uh, power-rated ranking at this point. Um it's going to be important context for us all to remember as the offense will undoubtedly look otherworldly through the first half of the season. And again, I'm not saying the Trojans aren't good. Quite the contrary. Number two offense, this top 10 team. I'm simply reminding us all right now before any games are played to consider the competition that USC will have played to that point, um, which again, as I said, will include no games against opponents with top 65 defenses or top 30 offenses. So if we're sitting there going into week seven, USC 6-0, and they're ranked number one in all the polls because they've looked so good, I promise you they won't be number one of my most deserving rankings. They'll actually probably be behind a team or two or more that have one loss because the average top 25 team would very much be expected to be 6-0 and against USC schedule up to that point. With that being said, it all changes with that road trip to South Bend in week seven. Kicks off a string of games that you mentioned, includes road trips to Eugene and home games against Utah, Washington, and UCLA, all coming to the Coliseum later in the year. So definitely USC is going to get their work in with the schedule. It's just all coming in the second half, so we'll have to wait a little bit to see exactly what they're made of, uh, but we will find out. Even though I favor the Trojans in every game, except for the game at Notre Dame, which I currently have as a pick I still only have an 8% chance that USC finishes 12-0. Now, if they have the same turnover luck and, and get all the turnovers over-expected that they got last year, that number is going to increase dramatically. Uh, but I think anywhere from 9 to 11 wins is really the most realistic, with 10 and 2 being the most likely. One more scheduling quirk of USC, Brett, that I, that I find interesting, maybe people don't, 
They do play a week zero game. They host San Jose State. So we're going to get an early look at, at USC as well as Notre Dame, a couple of CFP contenders in, in week zero. They have a bye in week three. But because they play in week zero, they, they, they have two byes. Most teams only have one, of course. They don't play in week zero. Their second bye, though, Brett, is actually in week 13. So rivalry week. I mean, the week that everyone's playing their biggest rivals. USC plays UCLA the week prior. Then they're off the final week of the regular season. So they could, Brett, if they are the favorite to make a Pac-12 championship game, like I have them, or even if they're just in the top two, right? There's no divisions in the Pac-12 for, for this year again. They're going to have a, a week off to prepare and and get going and get rested up and get healthy for that Pac-12 championship game. So I really like that scheduling dynamic. What I don't like is that's coming off the back of, you know, five pretty tough games in a six-week stretch. So pros, cons to both sides of it. Just an interesting quirk because I'm not sure there's any other team that plays in week zero, granted there aren't many, that have their second of two buys then in week 13. Just interesting. Yeah, and that's hugely advantageous for USC going into the conference championship game unless they play Utah, who finishes the season with Colorado. So not a buy, but like, eh, kind of. But yeah, if if they have to play Oregon coming off of their game against Oregon State, which there's going to be, we'll talk about Oregon soon, a lot of bad blood in that game. Or Washington from the Apple Cup, maybe one of the last ones, again, with really bad blood. Those could be two beat-up teams going into a well-rested USC team, and that's very interesting considering the Pac-12. Now, the only thing I'm looking for is that defense go from absolutely catastrophic to just merely bad or in the 50s, like you said, not terrible, then they should be in contention for the CFP. Now, remember, only Utah stood in their way last year twice, and, you know, they just didn't really have the dudes on defense. It was kind of a haphazardly thrown-together unit. This year, they have the dudes. There's no excuse to not have a massive improvement defensively. Uh, I'm right with you. I project them for 10.2 wins. That's right on par with the season win total, and they are my number six rated team in the preseason. Let's talk the Oregon Ducks. Fascinating team, fascinating team. Last year, fascinating team. Again, this year, I have them 2.1 points behind USC, and I project them for 9.6 wins. This is this this is fun. I love going on PFF and just kind of sorting random stats. This one kind of matters. Bo Nix, his adjusted completion rate last year was 82.6%, dealing with some drops, dealing with some uh, penalties, stuff like that. He was also top 15 in fewest turnover-worthy plays at 1.9%. So when we kept saying Bo Nix is really good, you know, he just needed to get out of the Auburn system, and yeah, he is really good. He is a Heisman contender. Also, interestingly, Oregon hired UTSA offensive coordinator Will Stein because Kenny Dillingham left for Arizona State. They have the top running back in the Pac-12, Bucky Irving, they also added Western Kentucky's Noah Whittington in the portal, who's kind of an explosive guy. I'm excited for that. Bucky Irving, 3.99 yards after contact on average, and he forced 61 missed tackles. He is a force. Now, keep in mind, Oregon's offensive line is already seventh in the country in line yards. So this is a nasty, nasty rushing attack that finished number five in rush EPA last year. They add Ajani Cornelius from Rhode Island to offensive tackle. Wide receiver Trayshawn Holden from Alabama. Edge rusher Jordan Birch from South Carolina and Justin Jacobs, a linebacker from Iowa, plus all-conference safety Evan Williams from Fresno State. They returned Brandon Dorless up front. The defensive line should be pretty good, but they turned in the fourth-worst sack rate in 2022. They just could not get home despite having some okay talent, but now they have good talent up front. I think Brandon Dorless is really, really good. 
So I think the talent is there on defense, but the flawed system is what cost them a lot last year. Now, I have Oregon second in this tier, not that far behind USC as mentioned, but I'm curious to know what your numbers say. I'm going to get to my numbers in a second, Brad. I got to give a quick story. NCAA football, 14, final EA Sports NCAA football game they ever made. Um, came out when I was going into my junior year of undergrad. So I think over the years, I don't know how many thousands of hours I played. I don't know how many hundreds of dynasties I started. I always started it one of two ways. Georgia State was a new program to FBS coming into that year. So it was their first year. They had no history in the game, no previous years, anything. I'd either start with them if I wanted to start at the bottom and either build them up or start there and then bounce around. Or I'd start with Oregon. Um, so Oregon kind of has, because they were the best team in the game. I think they were like number six, but they had they had some amazing players. Marcus Mariota, um, great, great players. Fun, fun offense. They never won a national championship. Still have never won a national championship. Probably the best program in the recent modern era to not have won. So Oregon has a special place in my heart for that reason. I, that, I like the color scheme, the green, the yellow, the, the O. I'm not an Oregon fan. Uh, trust me, I was devastated when Oregon actually did beat my team a couple years ago uh, in a regular season game. Really set, set the team that I root for back. But a special place in my heart for Oregon. Really like them. Coming into this year, now to the numbers, 6.7 projected conference wins for me. It's a 42% chance to reach the conference championship game. So like you, the Ducks are my second favorite in the Pac-12 behind only USC. This is projecting as a top five offense. You mentioned some of the adjusted completion rate and numbers for Bo Nix. Like, he really found something when he went from Auburn to Oregon, reinvented himself. This is the second best offense in the country. It's a top 40 defense, which is the thir third best in the conference. Th this conference certainly known for offense more than defense, at least in recent times and coming into this year. I currently have Oregon as an underdog in three games. Week seven at Washington, week nine at Utah. They're tough, tough road games. And week 11 at home against conference favorite USC. But in each of those games, I'm projecting the Ducks to be dogs of a field goal or less. So there's going to be no blowouts here in terms of losses, at least that I forecast. A trip to Lubbock in Week 2, Brett, how about that? Shaping up to be one of the most intriguing non-conference games of the year as well. I've got a 44% chance that the Ducks win 10-plus games. I'm really excited to see what this team looks like here in Year 2 under Dan Lanning and their final year in the Pac-12. Yeah, that game at Lubbock I'm very excited for. Uh, at Texas Tech, at Washington, at Utah, that is a tough trio of road tests here for Oregon. I still think they're going to be excellent. Uh, I really like Bo Nix. I believe in the staff. I like Will Stein. I think that was a really good hire. That's not really being talked about all that much. Um, and yeah, I make Oregon for 9.6 wins, as mentioned. Schedule plays favorably enough. Um, I have it, I believe, the second, third, third easiest in the conference. So I'm right along with you. But I want to talk about the two-time defending champion, Utah Utes. I did bet Utah to win the conference at 6-1, to one, given the number. I did take that back before we were starting to get some news about Cam Rising, who is hopeful about playing week one. We'll see. He tore his ACL in the Rose Bowl. So we'll see if he's ready or not. I also placed a bet on over 8.5 wins. It's not my favorite win total. Uh, that I bet this offseason, but I'm pretty confident. I think Utah is a very good team, a team that we've mentioned, like Kansas State, likes to exceed their preseason expectations with extremely, extremely sound coaching. Now, I have them as the third toughest strength to schedule in the Pac-12. They host Florida, then turn right around and visit Baylor to open the season. I mean, talk about a way to open your season. They've UCLA, 
at Oregon State, then they go into their bye, they visit USC, then they host Oregon, and then they visit Washington as well. I mean, this is a tough, tough schedule. And I need to see if Rising is ready to go. If he's not ready to go against Florida, I'm very concerned about that, even though I don't think Florida is going to be as good as their numbers may suggest. Uh, tight end Brant Keithy, though, he should be ready. He's ready to go. He missed a lot of last season, uh, while Dalton Kincaid went ahead and was drafted in the first round of the NFL draft. They signed their best recruiting class in the last five years, 21st nationally, and I think we know what we're getting. A well-coached team, high-end defense, the running back room is pretty good. Jaquindon Jackson is a former uh, four-star pardon me, quarterback who is now running the running back room, and he's pretty electric. Phil Steele ranks the entire defense of Utah number one in the Pac-12. They also ranked the number one offensive line and number one running back room. What is your assessment of Utah for the 2023 season? Anthony Thomas was the name of the running back. I couldn't remember from that Oregon oh, squad that beast. had Mariota in the video game. Had to come back to that one. Yeah. But uh, one of my favorite things, Brett, about Twitter is interacting with so many different college football fan bases. It's good and bad, I know. Sometimes my numbers aren't quite as high on a team as their fans think they should be. Talked a little bit about it with, of all teams, Kansas in the Big 12 episode. Their fans expect a little bit more. My numbers aren't really there. So the conversation gets reflected of that quickly. But I think my two favorite fan bases might be surprising to some people are Tennessee and Utah. For whatever for whatever reason, these two fan bases just really love their teams. Every fan base does. I'm not suggesting they don't. But they always just promote anything good I say about their team, like retweets, likes, comments, whatever it is, anything positive about their team. And they don't completely trash the info that comes out that maybe doesn't paint their team in the best light or speak as highly of them as they think their team should be by, by objective numbers. So I don't really know. I just wanted to get my appreciation for Utah fans out there, my love for Oregon and the video game. I'm all over the map here in the Pac-12 episode. But either way, thank you to the Utah fans for all the engagement. It's fun putting out fun fun things about your team because you guys receive it so well. And when things don't go your way, like I'm projecting USC to be a favorite over you, even though you've beaten them two, twice last year, you're not losing your minds about it. So I like that. This year's Utes team, I have a 29% chance to make the conference championship game. It's the third best in the conference behind USC and Oregon. A 51% chance to go over 8.5 wins for you there, Brett. So um, right around where you want to be to break even. Um, I have this offense as a top 15 unit. But that's only the fifth best offense in the conference. It's one of the reasons why this the Pac-12 is going to be so great this year. Is so many good offenses led by some of the best quarterbacks in the country, as you pointed out earlier. So it's going to be really exciting. Cam Rising's health is certainly a big deal and something that we need to track on. And if he's not ready to go Week One, that's a problem uh, for for Utah because they aren't starting the year with with nobody like a lot of teams do. They're starting with a really tough game with Florida coming to town. Um, the defense should be one of the best. Um, in, in, in the country, in the best in the conference, it's going to be really important because the Utes do face the second most difficult collection of opposing FBS offenses this year behind only West Virginia. West Virginia is the only team that on average week in, week out faces more difficult competition from the opposing offense than Utah. Um, I mentioned that game at USC week eight and at Washington in week 11. Those are the only two games that I'm projecting Utah as an underdog right now. And both of those games are projecting as one score uh, lines. So, much like I talked about Oregon being an underdog in a few games, but none of them with big spreads. Same thing with Utah. I mean, that's one of the reasons why this this conference, this race is going to be so exciting. I really like this Utah team. I hope they can compete for a three-peat here um, before moving to the Big 12 next year. I'm just very excited to see how it all plays out. Yeah, I project them for 8.7 wins. That's a tough schedule led. Uh, they probably have a higher end than that if they can take care of some of those big non-conference games. 
I have a toss-up with Oregon at home and a toss-up at Washington. Uh, underdog in one game, like you said, at USC. And then three more one-score games, Oregon State, Baylor, and Florida. So they're going to need a lot to go right. They need Cam Rising to be completely healthy in order to exceed that 8.7 projected wins. But I want to talk about the fourth team in our Tier 1. That's the Washington Huskies. They had the number one offense in EPA per play last year, number two in passing. They returned Michael Penix Jr., one of the best receiver rooms in the country. Roma Dunze and Jalen McMillan were both 1,000-yard receivers last year. Michael Penix Jr. had the fifth-fewest turnover-worthy plays in 2022. It's 1.3%. But his wide receivers had 31 drops. Even though we have 2,000-yard receivers, and as talented as they are, they do have some issues with dropping the football. Hopefully they can improve upon that this year. The offensive line needs some new faces to step up. They don't return a whole lot of starters up front, but we do know this offense is going to be really good. The running back room had 24 touchdowns last year as well, which can account for Michael Penix having probably fewer touchdowns than you may remember. The defense, of course, was the issue. Like with all these teams, they're half teams. They have stellar offenses and not so great defenses. Their cornerback room was just decimated with injury. They don't return top top-level uh, top talent like we're known Washington to do in the past few years. This actually could be one of the worst units in the Pac-12. And their scheme forces a lot of one-on-ones with the DBs. That cost them a lot through the air. They were 126 in pass EPA on defense. But up front, I like this defensive front. Braylon Trice returns. If you haven't heard of him, he's a dude. He is a top half of the first-round NFL draft pick. He had a pressure, sack, or QB hit on 13.8% of his pass rushes, that is the most nationally. So if you think about it, 13.8% of the time, he's doing something to hit the quarterback. The pass rush should be pretty good. They were 30th in sack rate last year. Return all that up front. That's going to be Washington's strength. But again, if they're going to continue with that aggressive system that's leaving those not-so-talented DBs on those islands, especially against this cast of offenses that they're playing, the defense is going to be in for another tough year. Washington surprised me a bit last year, Brett, with their 10-win regular season. It was 2.7 more wins than I expected, which was good enough for number 11 nationally on my overachiever list. Credit to the Huskies for winning those games. Can't take it away from them. But my power ratings did view Washington as a little bit lucky to get that many wins last year. They finished last year's, um, at the end of the year, power rated number 20 in my numbers, which is lower than you'd expect for a team with that record from a Power 5 conference. Um... This is part of the reason why I have Washington coming into this year, power rated number 18. So still an improvement on last year, better team than last year, but not quite as high as maybe the coaches poll, which has them at number 11. And, you know, one or two Washington fans have uh, pointed that out to me. Again, <laughs> I understand. I don't put much stock in human polls. I really don't. Uh, I know the CFP poll is the only one that matters at the end of the year, but coaches poll, AP poll, I don't even look at them, really. Uh, I'm the last to know that they've come out or whatever, but you can't get on Twitter and not see them. So I react to them at that point. To be clear for Washington fans, this is a really good football team, especially on offense. I have this unit ranked number seven nationally. But to me, I, I know, Brett, you mentioned some dudes on defense and, and you like certain aspects of it. I still have some question marks. Um, doesn't mean that they can't be answered. But at this point in time, I need to see a little bit more. I have this unit ranked around number 50 nationally. Uh, there's only one game, though, that my numbers currently assign Washington less than a 50% chance to win. That's the Week 10 game at USC. They have to go to Southern Cal. Um, which is going to be a very tricky game for them, I think. But even with that, um, I'm projecting just 8.5 wins, despite being favorites in 11 games. 
That's due to so many projected close games, most notably the home games against Oregon, Utah, and a road trip to Oregon State. So there's a 27% chance UW makes the conference championship game. That's one in four. You know, I'd like to think if I was a Washington fan, I'd be happy with that. I think maybe their fans are thinking it should be a little bit higher. But again, the numbers say 27. That's pretty darn good if you're asking me um, for a Washington team that um, had a pretty pretty bad 2021 by their standards. And that's coming off of a maybe not so great COVID year in 2020. Take that for what it is. Obviously, prior to that, um, Washington had a really, really good run. What I love most, though, Brett, about all of this, we've talked about USC, we talked about Oregon, we talked about Utah, we talked about Washington. All these Pac-12 contenders in our Tier 1 here, they'll have to play each other this year. It's a mini-round robin. That doesn't always happen in conferences that play an unbalanced schedule, which is all of them now, uh, all of the Power 5 now, all of everybody now, actually, that I think about it. They all have to play each other. That, to me, on top of over everything else that we've talked about, that's, to me, what makes this the most exciting conference race in all of college football this year. Put on top of that, as I mentioned earlier, this is the final year of the Pac-12, and it's all the more exciting for me. I cannot wait to see this mini-round robin between USC, Oregon, Utah, and Washington. Whoever comes out on top with the best record, maybe the best two records out of there, that could very well decide the two teams that are going to be playing for the conference championship in Las Vegas. Well, you know how it goes in the Pac-12. These teams all cannibalize each other by the time October rolls around. No better example than this year where they're all playing each other. Yeah, it's going to make for appointment television. Uh, I don't want to see, I don't want to say that the Pac-12 is gone, but may go out with a bang. Now, you did mention a lot of uh, luck last year. There are four and one in one score games. So that is noteworthy. That's not the norm, uh, even though I do like their head coach. Like you said, they're at USC. They host Utah, Oregon State, and then at Washington State to close out the year. Now, Washington is a lot more talented than Washington State projects maybe to be a sizable favorite. But even though I've seen the dialogue saying that we're going to do everything we can to keep the Apple Cup alive and well, this is the last time that we're getting the Apple Cup at least between conference rivals. There's going to be some bad blood there. Washington State is going to be coming for the throat. Uh, I have two toss-ups on their schedule. Utah, Oregon, one point against Oregon State, and only an underdog at USC. I make them for 8.8 wins because I think that schedule can be advantageous in some spots. At least it's a little bit easier per my numbers than Utah or Oregon State. I want to talk about Oregon State. Yeah, go ahead. Quick quick correction there, Brett, before we move on. I think that game, the Apple Cup's actually at Washington this year. I think you said it was at Wazoo. Um, We're going to Seattle this year for the Apple Cup. Yes, they're hosting them. Okay, yes, versus Wazoo. Good correction. Thank you. Now, Oregon State. This team is kind of like the Pac-12 version of Texas Tech. I think the secret's out on Oregon State. Uh, Jonathan Smith has the third best record against the spread in among FBS coaches currently for more than like three seasons. 60% cover rate. That's pretty good. They return all five of their starting offensive linemen, a unit that's ranked number 12 nationally per Phil Steele. That should set up running back Damian Martinez for some serious success again. He had 982 yards, seven touchdowns as a true freshman. He was one of the breakout players in the conference, I think landed freshman of the year. They also land DJU in the portal from Clemson in an awesome, like, terrific piece from the athletic in, in his mindset of, wh- of where he was at at Clemson, why he was playing the way he did, why he transferred to Oregon State. He said, I went to Oregon State because of the scheme. I know there is some interest around possibly Hawaii being his landing spot, but he did settle on Oregon State, likes the pro scheme. He says he thinks he'll be a good fit here. Uh, I don't think he just woke up and forgot how to play football. Like that DJU that we saw against Notre Dame in 2021 isn't just an anomaly that didn't happen. 
right? I still think he's, or 2020, I should say. Still a great player, I think. This team won 10 games with Ben Gobranson at quarterback. No offense to him, but DJ is a huge upgrade, I think. And then they also have this extremely talented uh, freshman, Aiden Childs, I believe his name is. Chiles, Childs, he's a backup. He's going to step in. They believe he's the future of the program. They also signed their best recruiting class in the last five years. That's number 49 overall. Quaint, but good for the program. Love to see that. They handle Utah, Washington, and UCLA at home. And then they visit Oregon, of course, to close the year. Bad blood game. It's the last time we're getting that rivalry for the foreseeable future. They are mad at Oregon for leaving. That's, that's going to be a bad blood game. But then again, Oregon also blew a big lead last year. I'm really, really intrigued by the Platypus Cup this year. I like that Jonathan Smith stat uh, against spread record. That's I, I wasn't tracking that. That's interesting. Um, I think that's telling, too. Yeah, you, you hit on most of my points, Brett, uh, about Oregon State this year. Them and UCLA are really right in that kind of tier two for me, right behind the four contenders we talked about, however you want to stack those up. For the Beavers, for me, it all comes down to DJU. You talked about it. Will he play up to his five-star recruiting status? If so, this team does have an outside shot at the conference championship game because the defense should be really, really good. I mean, maybe even top two in the conference behind only Utah. Um, Oregon State has the easiest schedule in the conference by my numbers. They miss USC. Um, they get Utah and Washington at home. They have to go to Oregon for the Civil War, as you said there, uh, to end the year. But you never know what's going to happen in a rivalry game. Put on top of that, what you mentioned, everything going on with conference realignment. I expect the Beavers are going to get way up for that game. Of course, last year, you know, how that all played out leads into it too. So there's a lot of things swirling around that game that a model's not going to account for. Right now, I make Oregon about an eight-and-a-half-point favorite at home against their rivals here in Oregon State. But there's not going to be one game on the schedule this year that Oregon State wants more than that one. I actually think the fact that it's at Oregon – well, no, I'm not going to go there. It would be better at home. I was going to say the – they can hype it up and say we're going to go beat them at their place. It's just it's going to be a lot harder to do, as I talked about before. The hardest thing to do in college is one on the road. So I won't even try to say that I like it better being on the road. But um, they're, they're gonna, if they could go one and eleven this year, that's the one game they would pick. I promise you that. So I just I think that game is going to be really exciting, really hyped up, and uh, it should be electric. Especially if Oregon's got a lot on the line. Oregon State too, for that matter. As you talk about, if there's a place in the Pac-12 championship game on the line for the winner of that game or just for one of the teams playing, put that on, on top of everything else we've already mentioned, that game's going to be electric. Yeah, I'm with you. I, I have them as underdogs in three games this year, plus one more one-score game against UCLA. Uh, I have them one-point underdogs against Washington, 2.4 points against Utah. They're extremely well-coached, and they have a very good special teams unit. That's why when I see these one-score games, I'm more inclined to believe that those are probably, more probably wins than let's say a poorly coached team or bad special teams or both. So I kind of weigh those one scores like opportunities for a team like Oregon State or Kansas State or really well coached team versus uh, we're talking Memphis. They don't do well in one score games. I don't like that for them. I do like all these one score games for Oregon State. And that's why I make them for 8.1 wins. I think they're going to be really good this year and they could exceed that very well. It's just too bad that this team couldn't peak like at another time. They had to come up with the entirety of the Pac-12 like two three years ago this conference would be theirs for the taking but you know now they're in a very competitive league but the last of the contenders I want to talk about we still do have another team after this that's very interesting but UCLA I cannot wait to watch this team run the football in 2023 
They bring in my favorite player possibly in college football right now, Carson Steele. 70 or I'm sorry, 76% of his yards last year came after contact. He had 1,100 rushing yards after contact. This Bruins offensive line returns four starters. It's a unit that ranks 17th nationally, according to Phil Steele. And they also bring in Ken uh, Niamatololo. I tripped over that one, but Ken Niamatololo. That should sound familiar once I get it right. He was the former head coach at Navy to come in and bolster this run game. They also added some pretty good wide receivers in the portal. You have J. Michael Sturdivant from Cal, Kyle Ford from USC. It's the sixth overall transfer class according to 247 Sports. Seven of their additions, I've been hearing, could be day one starters. That is a very useful transfer class, I think. You also have Latu up on the front. He had 12% of what we were talking about before, QB hits, sacks, and pressures. That's PRP according to Pro Football Focus. 12%, that is the second most among returning players. Uh, I hate to boil it down to this. Like I don't want to take the simple argument or the tired argument, but it really all comes down to quarterback play. Dante Moore looked like a freshman in spring ball, but that's expected. But he's still extremely talented. And if he's not the day one starter, I do believe he will start at some point because the other alternative is Kent State's Colin Schley that transferred in, who I believe may have a leg up, at least in the spring game they're talking about him possibly running with the ones. But what do you make of UCLA this year? Yeah, I have UCLA as the number 32 power rated team coming into this year. 5.5 projected conference wins and a 13% chance to make the conference championship game. So those are the numbers of kind of a true dark horse. If you're looking for one that's maybe a little bit off the radar and Oregon State's getting all the buzz with DJU and all that. So if you're looking for somebody outside the ones we were talking about, US, UCLA is the, it's the option for me. The defense is concerning, though. It's hovering around number 60 in my unit rankings. The offense should be awesome. I mean, the top 20, maybe even top 15 uh, is potentially the ceiling for this offense, as you said, running the football especially. While Oregon State has the easiest schedule in the conference, UCLA has the second easiest, and the Bruins miss Oregon and Washington in conference play this year. Combine the relatively easy schedule uh, with the high-profile offense that we mentioned, um, that faces one of the Power Five's easiest slates of opposing FBS defenses, UCLA might be able to find their way to Vegas. Again, I'm not, not betting on it, not suggesting there's good odds for it. It's a 13% chance. But it just all these other things that need would need to align for a team to make a run are aligning such for UCLA. Now they got to go out and actually get it done on the field. But um, it's an intriguing team. Curious to see how it goes. I've got a 39% chance to win nine plus games, which of course is what they got in the regular season last year. If we're looking at like pure value and looking at your numbers, you say 13% chance to make the conference championship game. If you want to bet UCLA to win the Pac-12, you can get them for 1500 plus 1500 right now, 15 to one. That's about six and a quarter percent. Now you have 13% chance to make the conference championship game, but if they're playing a USC or Utah or an Oregon, they would be a pretty sizable underdog. So I actually don't know if I'm looking at your numbers. I don't know if there is value in betting UCLA to win the conference just, just from a pure mathematics standpoint there. Uh, but they are an intriguing team and would not surprise me at all to see them go 10-2, and two, pull a couple of upsets, and find themselves in Las Vegas. Uh, they play the fifth easiest schedule in the Power 5 uh, per my numbers. I make them for 8.5 wins despite being – Almost a field goal less in power than Oregon State. Again, they just play a lot easier of a schedule. The UCLA should be a lot of fun to watch once again uh, before they depart for the Big Ten. 
So that's all of the contenders. But there's one team that's really interesting that everyone's talking about. They've dominated headlines this offseason. That's Colorado. According to BetMGM, Colorado is their number one biggest national championship liability this offseason. That's hysterical uh, to me. I, I think they're going to be a really fun case study because they took that USC model of free agency and then they cranked it up to 11. Uh, obviously, they have the splash hire in Deion Sanders and they bring in 51 new players. It's really fun to go to our lads. I love our lads. That All they do is set depth charts. Go to our lads. The entire depth chart is orange. That indicates transfers. And none of them have jersey numbers. It's hysterical. Um, but Shadir Sanders, who comes in, I think he's actually going to be fine. Uh, but there's no safety net at quarterback behind him. So if he gets injured or or doesn't perform, they have nobody else. They're kind of stuck with him, which he's Deion Sanders' son, so probably not going to bench him. But he does work with Sean Lewis from Kent State, the old head coach there. He's the offensive coordinator at Colorado. I think he is an awesome hire, one of the, one of the top hires, I think, in the country. They're going to run one of the fastest-paced offenses. That's just what he does. If you watch their spring game, it was difficult to keep up. I feel bad for the folks that have to chart the plays because uh, they run at a million miles an hour. They bring in Travis Hunter, of course, who's the number one recruit in the 2021 class. So I think he's going to be fine at a power five level. He was going to be a Florida State player for a while until he went to Jackson State and now Colorado. My biggest concerns with them, size up front and overall depth or lack thereof in both categories. Their defensive secondary is extremely talented. They add Cormani McLean along with uh, Travis Hunter here to have just kind of a lot of star power back there. But again, not a lot of depth behind those stars. And the rest of the roster is just kind of a star here and there. But the bottom of that roster, I think, is still really bad. It's really, really hard to project a team that's been completely remade. But what are your numbers saying about Colorado? Yeah, Brett, I'm not going to bury the lead. The love for this team earlier this summer was way over the top, in my opinion. I think it's cool a little bit as we've gotten closer to the season. I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that BetMGM has Colorado as the biggest national champion liability. And, and I understand how that works. But BetMGM, I think you're going to be okay. Uh, I wouldn't worry about the liability that you have there. I, I did see earlier this summer, Brett, and, and this just confirms it. Colorado had like the sixth most bets on them of any team to win the national championship. Not the sixth most money, but the sixth most like bets um, to win the national championship. Brett, like th this team finished one and eleven last year. They were number one twenty-five in my power ratings out of one hundred and thirty-one teams last year. So there were only six teams behind them in my power ratings. I like the Dion hire. You said it's flashy. You, 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 you like it too. I have no doubt he's going to improve this team. To be fair, it would be really hard not to improve this team, at least in year one, because of how bad they were last year. But I think to make significant strides, it's going to take a little bit of time. Um, Colorado going back to the Big 12, for me, I don't like conference realignment. We've talked about that on a previous episode. I actually don't mind Colorado to the Big 12, because to me, that's where I associate Colorado anyway, because in my mind, I froze conference membership in like 2006, 2007. And that's where Colorado was at that time. So I like that they're going back to the, the Big 12. I hate what that move triggered. Um, and you can say it happened, started before that, of course, I understand. But it's the immediate trigger for what happened shortly thereafter and what that's doing to this conference, the Pac-12, moving forward. Um, I just think it's going to take a little bit of time for them to get to the levels that they want to be, uh, even with Dion at the helm. You mentioned this. With so much turnover, both on the roster and the coaching staff, it makes projecting this team really, really difficult. Brett, you make your own numbers. I make my own numbers. 
lots of people out there make their own numbers for college football. It's it's a pretty saturated market, um, which makes it hard to get a, a foothold, especially when you've got some out there that are doing it just so prolifically. But this is my nightmare. USC was my nightmare last year. James Madison was my nightmare last year because you don't know how a team transitions from FCS to FBS. You don't know how a team takes in this number of transfers. And Colorado's done that to the max, as, as you said, they took it to, to level 10 here compared to what USC did. I don't like uncertainty. I like the model to know exactly what's going on and to make these accurate projections. And more times than not, they are spot on. But anytime you have this much uncertainty, it makes it more difficult. So with that being said, my numbers are looking at 2.7 wins for Colorado this year. Could be more. USC surprised me last year. We talked about USC, though, their turnover luck and some other things. So maybe they didn't deserve to have the record they had. Doesn't matter. At the end of the day, they did. I'm not here to take anything away from them. We're talking power ratings, much different than a most deserving ranking. In the preseason, we don't have most deserving rankings. No one's played a game. All we're doing is projecting forward, so it's really relevant for this type of conversation. With 2.7 projected wins on average, I've got a 2% chance to go bowling. Even if we get a 2022 Kansas-type surprise from this team, which we could, bowling is the absolute ceiling for me. The Buffs are not going to compete for a conference championship, let alone a spot in the CFP or a national championship. I very rarely speak in absolutes because I'm, I have a probabilistic mind. We talk in, you know, a 98% chance that means, or a 2% chance of something happening, that means there's a 98% chance it doesn't. I'm speaking very absolutely here about Colorado. They might go bowling, 2% chance. They will not be in the top two of the Pac-12 at the end of the regular season. They will not play for in the CFP this year. It's not happening. So MGM, bet MGM, I understand they're your biggest liability. Rest easy. Uh, you guys are smart. You make these numbers. You put out. I put out anything that people are going to bet on too. Because thank you for giving me my money. You've just donated to your local sports book <laughs> on Colorado this year. And their schedule's like tough, like Brutal. very tough. I mean, they they start at TCU, then they welcome in Nebraska, who's a historic rival. And if you watched that last matchup a few years ago, electric. I thought it was great. But Nebraska is going to be improved, if not turned over. At least they handle that one at home. And then interestingly, they host Colorado State, who I've talked about on a previous podcast, might be pretty well improved. I think they'll be decent. Colorado State's off a bye, so that's not a gimme either, especially with the talent levels, relative talent levels you're talking about. Then they go at Oregon and then host USC. I mean, they play at UCLA, then turn right around and host Oregon State, and then they finish out at Utah. I mean, that's a brutal schedule. And if you think that they're going to be going 11-1 against that schedule, go buy a, go buy a lottery ticket. You probably have better odds. I, I think Colorado is going to be appointment television. They're going to be fun to watch. I Like you said, I think their ceiling this year is last year's Kansas, that they just score a million points and they're able to overcome a crappy defense and, and you know, make a bowl, in which they give up 55 points in that too. Their floor, 2-10, and 10, right where they left off. I, I mean, my numbers give them two wins. I'm throw, Personally, I'm throwing my numbers out. I don't think they have a clue about – I don't think they can really grasp what, what Colorado is this year. If you're giving me the four and a half that this win total opened at, I would bet it under so fast. Uh, but that's not offered anymore. The market very quickly corrected that. Just as a side note, I talked about it, but I'm really excited for that Nebraska game. It's just it's like an aesthetically pleasing game. It's old school, like 90s when they were number one and number two. Like just good vibes around it. Both of those programs should be in the Big 12. I mean, again, I'll, I'll, I'll say it. I don't have any. <laughs> Quarrels about it, that those both those programs should be in the Big 12. It's an awesome game. Um, yeah, when you think Colorado, Nebraska, you think the 90s. 
and I'm, I'm even a little bit too young to fully remember those games, but I've seen the clips. I, I know the significance of them. That game's going to be fantastic. Can't wait for it. Absolutely. I'm with you on all that. You said it opened at four and a half, right? I didn't even know that. I'd have a 92% chance that they're going under four and a half. Only an 8% chance of five plus wins this year. Um, I, 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 back to my first point. The hype during the, the beginning of the summer, beginning of the offseason, was out of control for this team. And I just, I mean, I'm laughing. I, I don't bet on any of these games. We talk about that. We talk about why. Um, I don't bet on over. I don't bet on anything. But if I would have seen that open at four and a half and I was in a position where I could have bet, I would have put multiple units onto that because um, that's how strongly I feel about this uh, this Colorado team this year. Yeah, we're down to three and a half with juice on the under. That four and a half was like, it was the very first win total that opened up. It opened up right after Dion took over. It's before he had solidified his roster. It was one of those promotional things. There was a lot of juice on the under. It just wasn't something I was interested in betting him. But yeah, I mean, seems like a, seems like a home run hit here. But before we close up shop today, we've done this on all of our Power Fives, just that uh, preview, so that we can get all of the teams at least listed and a general temperature on where we fall. We're going to do a little bit of rapid-fire buy-sell. One word, one sentence, somewhere around there. What you decide is buying and selling is kind of up to you, whether you base it on last year's performance, general program temperature, going to leave that up to you. But we're going to start with Arizona. I'm going to buy Arizona. Softbank should be top 35 nationally by my numbers. I have been trying to buy Arizona for years, so I'll try to buy them one more time. Maybe the fifth time is a charm. How about Arizona State? I'm going to buy Arizona State because I think they'll be more talented this year, but they do have to face the eighth most difficult collection of opposing FBS offenses. So take that for what it is, but I think it's more talented than last year, so I'll buy it. I'm actually going to sell Arizona State. I don't believe Drew Pine is all that good. I don't get their hires. I didn't think – Kenny Dillingham is fine. I didn't enjoy his, per se, overthinking when he was hiring all the coordinators. And the, I just, I don't like it. Their, their president's a goof. I'm just not not into this program. Uh, Cal. I knew you were going to sell Arizona State. They, just, they were so bad last year. They can't be worse. I, just, I can't see it. That, that's uh, Cal, Cal, I, I, I'm going to buy them. Uh, again, I think they'll be more talented. <laughs> they have to face the most difficult schedule in the conference. And it's the sixth most difficult collection of opposing FBS offenses Cal's also got it swirling around now some ACC rumors, but like, what is their future? Uh, so that's not going to affect this year necessarily, but if I'm a player there or a coach there, you can't help but but think about that. You're human. So I'm not expecting them to set the world on fire this year, 38, 37% chance to go bowling, but I'm going to buy them because I think they're going to be better this year than they were last. I'll situationally buy Cal. I like Sam Jackson. I like uh, Jaden Ott. I like what is kind of going on here. I've alluded to it before, but I'm almost certainly going to bet them against the spread against USC. They're just a trappy team. That's how I'm going to buy them. Probably not as as a success uh, this season. Stanford. I'm selling this one hard. This program's taken a nosedive since 2018. It's honestly kind of sad, Brett. I am not a Stanford fan. I'm not a Pac-12 fan, even though I spoke so glowingly about it here. I, I, I just love college football and good college football. Stanford, you know, 2009 to 2018 about a decade there just phenomenal program they have fallen off a cliff uh it's not getting better this year probably gonna be worse than last year even i'm selling it yeah they went six and 18 with five-star quarterback that got drafted into the nfl i'm selling that that's that's bad that's bad news i like troy taylor i like kind of the out of the box weight they went with that but i'm absolutely selling they who knows even where they're gonna play or if they're gonna play uh washington state final one 
selling Washington State despite one of the easiest schedules in the conference. Uh, I think they're going to take a step back from last year. They're another team. At least Cal and Stanford are getting uh, the ACC to mention them. Washington State, Oregon State's had really nobody outside maybe the Mountain West. So thinking about what's going on around that program, where's the mindset of everybody involved, I'm going to sell Washington State this year. And I think it's incredibly sad what's happened to them and some of their conference mates um, during this realignment. Big 12 fans won't have any sympathy for that because they're saying, well, where were you when we were falling apart? I felt sad for you too. I know I'm not a national media type, so my voice isn't out there or being heard, but I I hate what's happening to some of these teams and what has happened to teams in the past. So um, I'm going to sell them and it hurts me to do it because I feel bad for them, but that's my honest take. Sign me up for the Ben Arbuckle experience. I love the Zach Kittley tree. I think Washington State's going to be electric. Sign me up for Washington State this year. I can't wait for this offense to be revitalized. What Does it count as two wins? Probably not. But I'm at least excited to see uh, Cam Ward get his. So that was a good buy sell. That was a great Pac-12 preview. Hopefully we can return again next year and talk about some sort of Pac-12, whether it be merged with the Mountain West and just be the Pac or whatever it is. But college football at West will never die. We won't let it. Hop on over to our Discord server where you can connect with over 4,000 sports betting fans and get live updates in the College Football Channel and join a sharp and active community. It's really getting active now because we're talking week zero, week one. We're really getting into the nitty-gritty of college football. Don't forget to subscribe to Lines YouTube for daily sports betting strategy videos just like this one and comment your thoughts on the Pac-12. Are you with me on the Washington State train, I guess, that I've now put myself on? And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast over on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon, Pandora, whatever is uh, soliciting our show out there. And give us a five-star rating that's going to help us reach so many more college football fans as the season draws near. But before we get out of here, Kelly, please let everybody know where they can find your awesome work. 33% chance to match or exceed last year's win total on Washington State, Brad. I'm going to hold you to this one. We agree on a lot of things. This one we're we're a part on. So we'll have to track this one throughout the year. Um, I, I... I mentioned where you can find me on X at the last episode, and Brett admonished me for that one a little bit. So you can find me on Twitter, at KFordRatings. You can find me on the website, KFordRatings.com. That's where I'm putting out all the college football stuff, both of those outlets. And I'm just really excited to be a part of the team here at thelines.com with Brett and doing the show. So uh, I say all of that in good taste, Brett. But, um, yeah, it's been a lot of fun. Can't wait for this Pac-12 season. Really going to enjoy it. It's the final one that we're going to have maybe ever for this conference. So it's certainly going to be one to remember. You can find me on Twitter at Road to CFB. Kelly, we're so excited to have you. I'm so excited to be talking college football. And I bet everyone watching is excited to be talking college football. Thank you so much, as always, for your time and for watching. I'm Brett Gibbons. That is Kelly Ford. And we'll see you all next time.